everybody. Last week we finished our last podcast talking about the parting of the Red Seas and the use of UFOs in that. So we're going to start out today's episode talking about how religious leaders might feel about a UFO parting the sea. Um, Barry, can you tell us about what your thoughts are on that? We can. Uh, I guess I'll give it back to you first. You know, if the parting the Red Sea happened the way I suggested with some kind of spaceship using its power to split the waters of the Red Sea uh, and then drown the Egyptians, how would you expect religious leaders to react to this just as a regular person out in the street? What would you think? I feel like it would rock everyone's world in a not really awesome way. I mean, I was watching some of the Ancient Aliens episodes recently, and I noticed that they really do not talk about Christianity that much. They talk about, you know, so many other religions, so many other ancient civilizations, but not so much Christianity. And I got me thinking, I was like, in God we trust, right? This is what the United States is based on. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, God is a UFO. Tell me how you feel about it. That's a very intense statement. And I'm just not, you know, no wonder why nobody wants to talk about this one subject. Um, So that's, that's my opinion. You know, what do you think? Yeah, well, I would say just as UFOs have been the third rail of politics, meaning you don't want to touch it, likewise, Christianity is the third rail of the Ancient Alien series. You don't want to touch that either. I think that's part of it. Um, I'm going to read to you a section from uh, a book by Bishop uh, John Shelby Spong, who's an Episcopalian bishop, and his book is entitled Why Christianity Must Change or Die. He's a liberal bishop. Uh, He's famous for a quote that says, Christians shouldn't be required to leave their brains at the church door. So he feels that a lot of the things in the Bible just have to be forgotten because in a scientific age you can't believe this kind of stuff. Now, Bishop Spong is, I think, unaware of my book, as many religious leaders are, most of them, and even the ones that become aware of my book don't talk about it because... Connecting the Bible to UFOs is a third rail for religious leaders. Um, Mm -hmm. I talked with one religious leader who has a high-level job, and he knows perfectly well about UFOs. I talked to him at a UFO conference. I said, why aren't you more open about your UFO beliefs? And he said, because I want to keep my job. So that's kind of where it's at. But... um, Let's just, I want to read these words from Bishop Spong. A sense of relief comes over, uh, no, that's the wrong place. Give me a minute. All right. Um, Other aspects of the almightiness of God found in the Bible are also notably missing from the expectations of people living in this modern world. The Bible suggested that this almighty God had the ability to rain bread called manna from heaven upon the favored people to save them from starvation in the wilderness, Exodus 16. But there appears to be no such divine rescue of starving people in our time. At least no heavenly fed bread falls upon them. In our generation, starving people in Somalia, Rwanda, 
and in the region of the world known as the Sub-Sahara, simply die unless human relief operations are mounted. The Almighty De Deity also appeared in the sacred text to have had a not-so-noble political and moral agenda. The biblical God is portrayed as having had the power to split the Red Sea to allow the chosen ones to walk through on dry land, Exodus 14. That's what we did last week, the last time. Mm -hmm. And as stopping the sun in the sky to allow people of Israel more time to achieve a military victory over the Amorites. But in the same sacred text, the Red Sea was also closed by this God just in time to drown the hated Egyptians. And that sun was finally allowed to set as soon as the slaughter of the wicked Amorites was complete. What kind of almighty power is this? Is it even ethical? Is one capable of worshiping so capricious a deity who appears to embody the worst of our human tribal and political hatreds? So mm -hmm. that's the question that Bishop Spong asks about a miracle like the parting of the Red Sea. He assumes that no such thing ever happened, that this whole story was made up by the Jewish leaders to make it appear that their God was <clears throat> uh, shining upon them. In fact, that they were God's chosen people, which of course is a basic teaching of the Exodus, that God has selected the Jews for his chosen people. And so mm -hmm. Bishop Spong feels this implies prejudice, prejudice against the Egyptians and in favor of Israel. Well, from an ethical point of view in our time, I can see that. But then the issue is, supposing this really happened, now what are we to make of it? What's your reaction to Bishop Spong? I feel like it's an interesting relationship between, okay, now we're just making everything up versus, no, like, this is a, this is a historical moment written within the Bible of using this technology. So I think that what he says is, you know, about, about this is just a made-up story. I think that some may tend to go towards that because they don't understand it. Um, but I tend to appreciate the idea that the, this use of technology could make this story actually come to life and all of a sudden have a reason for this, you know, defining moment within the Bible. Um, so I think it's an interesting perspective for sure. What's interesting to me is that he doesn't want to allow God to have chosen people. In other words, God can't make choices whereas mm -hmm. we humans make choices all the time. Uh, yeah. Imagine, you know, a world in which uh, a woman is proposed to by a man that she doesn't like, and she has no choice to say no to that uh, proposal. Uh, there, of course, are some cultures in which marriages were arranged by the parents, and so a woman didn't have a choice. But in our culture, mm -hmm. a woman has a choice. Uh, we've got an election coming up. Is it immoral that some people will actually elect or vote for one person, make a choice over another. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the idea of choosing is such a fundamental part of our human ability. 
And mm-hmm. to say that God shouldn't be able to make a choice, it seems to me, is a very strange way of taking power away from that one that's supposed to be very powerful. And in fact, of course, mm-hmm. he is rejecting the whole idea of God being almighty because mm-hmm. God fed the Israelites, his chosen people, and he let the uh, people in Africa starve and does nothing about it. So he thinks the whole idea of an almighty God is, is both absurd and the idea of chosen people is immoral. But we make choices all the time, and mm-hmm. it's part of our human power. What kind of a God are you going to have if you don't allow that God to make choices, including perhaps choosing the Jews for whatever purpose you choose them? Mm-hmm. So, no, definitely fascinating, for yeah. sure. So that's where, first of all, there's a pretty big conflict, uh, and Bishop Spong would not welcome my UFO interpretation of the part of the Red Sea because now he has to face the question, why were the Jews picked out or chosen by whatever power, even if it is an ET power instead of God, mm-hmm. why did they choose the Jews? And so it brings the issue of the Jews as chosen people back into the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Jews have paid a huge price over the centuries for this designation. I mean, they were yeah. put in the ovens in Germany during World War II in part because uh, the Ger- German leaders found it annoying that the Jews saw themselves as special in God's eyes, you know. And yeah. uh, so this kind of jealousy of one who might be chosen or a group, an ethnic group chosen by God, seems offensive to our idea of fairness now. But there it is. And it's in, I think, the story of the parting of the Red Sea, it brings it all back to life again. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's call that good for now. All right. Well, I I think that that's a great interpretation of how we can look at this one event so differently, just by saying is there technology or is there not technology, um, and then having that question answered, all of a sudden now it's an ethical dilemma, which I think is really fascinating. Um, so. Moving on, um, how does the idea of God fit into your views with UFOs? Um, you know, tell us more about your personal beliefs and how this all works together. Okay, in terms of where we are now, <clears throat> what is our scientific view of how religion came about and uh, and why we gave up on it? <laughs> okay, uh, mm-hmm. there's a, been an ad on TV and I'm not sure it's for Spectrum or <clears throat> for one of those groups. But in any case, the picture shows basically a volcano with the fire kind of glowing underneath, and uh, a couple of people are standing up on the edge of the volcano looking down at it. And um, there's another group of people off in the distance, and up, up comes the person who's going to be the victim that's thrown into the fire. And the victim says, you know, I've been thinking about this, you know, you know, we've got a drought going on here and we need water. Couldn't we kind of build some ditches and put in some tubes and run the water from the river over to where the crops are to make them grow? And the other guys kind of look more Roman <clears throat> from the Roman Empire to the time in terms of their dress. But in any case, mm-hmm. they're saying, well, you know, it might work, <clears throat> but we don't have time to do that now. Plus, all those people over there 
uh, you know, and wait, waited to see you jump in. And <clears throat> so off in the distance you hear a woman in a cockney British voice yell out, Hey, get on with it, you know. <laughs> and he says, Yeah, I guess I got it. So he jumps in, and then the two men that are staying there, presumably the high priests, hold out their hands, uh, looking at the sky to see if rain is coming, and it isn't, you know. Mm -hmm. So the basic view of religion is that it began as a way of trying to control nature, appease nature. Uh, you make sacrifices to the gods of rain or whatever, and hopefully the rain comes. And, of course, in our scientific age now, we know rain is related to uh, cloud formations and air pressure and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And there doesn't appear to be any god involved in it at all. And so, uh, not surprising, we've arrived in the age of <clears throat> what I would call atheism. And we had mm -hmm. a book called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, uh, with The End of Faith by Sam Harris. Uh, he wrote that after the uh, Twin Trade Towers were blown up by Muslim extremists. Mm -hmm. And then his God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything is the book by Christopher Hitchens, and these have all been done in like the last oh, 25 wow. years. So our our age has had a growing uh, sense of of atheism in it in the public sphere, sphere and you've kind of grown up with that. Mm -hmm. In terms of what my UFO stuff does uh, to the idea of God, I want to read two Bible passages and then talk about them. Yeah. First of all, it's Genesis chapter 18, so this is very early on in the Bible. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, him being Abraham. As he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men stood in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I fetch a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah, that's his wife, and said, mm -hmm. Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. And then he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And then they say, where is Sarah, your wife? What this story goes on to do is say that uh, the three men tell Abraham that his wife is going to become pregnant and she will have a son. And this seems absurd both to Abraham and to Sarah, who's off in the tent listening. And she apparently laughs inside herself and not out loud. And these three men eventually say to her, why did you laugh? And she says, I did not laugh, but you did laugh and all that. Uh, mm -hmm. Eventually, 
she does become pregnant with Isaac. So this is interesting. First of all, the three men are referred to in the text as the Lord. So what are we thinking here? Is one of them the Lord, or are all three of them the Lord? Some Christians have said, well, this must be the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't think that's a proper interpretation of the text. But in any case, um, suppose these three beings are, in fact, aliens, ETs from another world, mm -hmm. and they have the power to read Sarah's mind, as it were, and know she laughed. Also, mm -hmm. they have the power to enable her to become pregnant. This is interesting, because in our modern times, we've had stories of E.T. abductions or E.T.'s abducting humans and mm -hmm. apparently doing tests on them that are related to their sexual reproductive abilities, checking the eggs, uh, ovum in women and the sperm in men. So we have the impression that our modern E.T.'s are interested in and have power over human reproductive ability. Mm -hmm. And that same idea is expressed right here in the book of Genesis dealing with Abraham and Sarah. So it suggests that there is some kind of ET force, it's called a God force or whatever by the biblical people, but in any case an ET force was in contact with Abraham and Sarah and that this force was at work in their lives and in their future. Now mm -hmm. I want to... Can I ask something? Yeah, sure. So I, um, I, I'm sure the people listening to this have watched Ancient Aliens, so I'm going to add something from that. Um, they talk a lot about, uh, or each astronaut theorists say, that there were many women who have, in, in ancient texts and stuff and, and things, have said that they became pregnant without having sex with these um, god-like like creatures. Yep. So I think that that's like that's another example um, within the Bible of that happening because I know that's happened in a bunch of different ancient cultures where they're like, we didn't have sex and now she's pregnant, and then you know this kind of mix of UFO slash human genetic genome so you know it's interesting that the people who claim to have um, encounters say that they're really interested in the sexual reproductive system because that's that's been talked about so much within the whole you know ancient aliens ancient civilization historical um, references right and we humans of course uh, if we're farmers we try to control mm -hmm. the reproductivity of the animals that we have and it appears that the ETs see the Earth as theirs in some sense and that they have the right to uh, control human direction. And so then the question is, are they from God? Are they authorized by God to do this? Mm -hmm. And if so, how would we ever figure that out? And so the, we'll say the ancient aliens approach is to just forget God and just deal with the aliens. And, mm -hmm. and say that they have godlike powers. Uh, we'll probably deal with Eric von Daniken and his Chariots of the Gods book more in future times, mm -hmm. but uh, that's certainly part of what's going on here. That is mm -hmm. that we, what has happened, I would say, in Christian theology is that the idea of God 
as an invisible force that can do anything by some supernatural power and mm-hmm. overcome the story in the Bible which shows alien beings involved mm-hmm. at key points all along the way and that these beings are not invisible like God, rather they're very visible and also they look very human. And so mm-hmm. then the question is, <clears throat> where do they come from and why are they doing what are they doing? Uh, the biblical yeah. view is that they are divine beings or divine messengers or in some cases God himself. Now and then, uh, an angel will visit someone. This is true in the book of Judges. An angel visits a husband and wife, and they kind of fall down to worship him, or they feel that they've seen God, and they expect to die, because the biblical view was, if you looked on God directly, you would die. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll we'll get to that part of, of the biblical view of God again a little later, but, um, that, that ancient aliens view that that the ETs are involved with and have been involved with the biology of the Earth, not just human reproduction, but the biology mm-hmm. of the Earth and directing it is, I think, a key thing in terms of where we're going to end up going because most Christians now see the Genesis story of creation as a fable or uh, a story, just a story, not a histor- not in any sense a scientific description of cre- creation. And so then we have to ask the question, well, how did we get the way we are? And e- evolution has been the standard answer in your science classes in mm-hmm. the United States for decades now. And we'll be dealing with Richard Dawkins uh, in a few minutes and taking his point of view on that. But in any case, that's, that's if you think about uh, Jesus' story, uh, it very much involves uh, no man being involved in the birth of Jesus, only Mary, and visitation mm-hmm. by the angel Gabriel. So the New Testament material is a ways off in the distance in terms of the direction we're going now, but it's going to come up. And so... Whereas Abraham and Sarah is the first indication that there are powers that will be directly involved in human reproduction, uh, it's yeah. going to show up again. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right, I want to read the other passage, Exodus chapter 3. Okay. And so, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of God appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and lo, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. Then he said, Do not come near. Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So this is kind of a a key statement about Mm -hmm. the nature of God being dangerous to humans uh, and... It's 
I think, an idea that's absolutely lost in American culture now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's been a long time since I heard any public uh, statement from a leader, either religious or political, except maybe on TV, uh, saying that God is dangerous, you know. But as yeah. part of the story here, the reason I wanted to put the Abraham story and the uh, Moses burning bush story together is that I believe that the burning bush was caused by the pillar of cloud and the fire landing on the ground because the biblical word for bush here can actually mean a thicket or a clump of bushes. And so I think that the pillar cloud landed in a clump of bushes because it had an energy system that caused the leaves of the bush to glow, kind of. Uh, Moses saw that it looked like they were on fire, but mm -hmm. the leaves weren't burned up. It was not consumed. So that's part of what got Moses' attention. So he wandered over and got fairly near to the bush. And the key thing about this bush is not just that it was burning, but it was a talking bush. And, you know, talking bushes are pretty rare. Uh, I've seen burning bushes, but I've never heard a talking bush. So how do we explain this? The key part here, I think, is that we had a talking God that met Abraham and Sarah, and it was in human form, in the form of three beings that came and met with Sarah and Abraham. Now this voice from the burning bush says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why isn't it the same God, the same three guys maybe, inside mm -hmm. the pillar cloud of fire which is now on the ground? That's what I think. Now I can't prove this, and this is a pretty radical interpretation of the burning bush story uh, compared with what biblical scholars have done. But I believe mm -hmm. that the pillar cloud of fire in Exodus 14 is referred to as the angel of God or the angel of God in the pillar cloud of fire. And if the pillar ground fire is a spaceship of some kind, and if the spaceship landed on the ground in a clump of bushes, causing the bushes to glow, and Moses came near, then uh, I'm not surprised that he heard a voice coming from the bush or from the glow. Uh, mm -hmm. What we have, I think, is the same beings that were meeting with Abraham, but hundreds of years later. And hundreds of years later, it seems a bit of a stretch, but uh, we don't know how long our modern ETs live for. How old do mm -hmm. they get? We don't know. So we have the burning bush story, and one of the things I want to draw attention to is the voice said to Moses, take off your shoes, you were on holy ground. And... What I think is implied here is that the ground belongs to God because God is landing on it, all right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a territorial announcement. And therefore, because God is in the land or on the land or owning the land, then it's not just any land anymore. It's sacred or holy. Mm -hmm. And the taking off your shoes, one of the things that happens later on when... God is giving instructions, or the angels of God are giving instructions for building an altar. The Jews were not allowed to cut the stones for the altar in any way. They had to take all natural stones and put them up. So that the idea was that 
if humans touched the stones and broke them apart, that would corrupt them. That anything humans touch gets corrupted. And if yes. you're walking in sandals, that is going to corrupt the ground. So God made your feet, that's fine. You can walk in bare feet and approach God, but you can't walk in sandals because they're handmade, human-made. So that's part of the story here. Now, the interesting thing is that this is the first time the word holy is used in the Bible. It is not used in the book of Genesis at all. So we have the idea of holy here. And I'm going to throw you a curveball question now. What do you see that's holy in American culture now? It's a really hard question. Yes. I mean, I feel like we look at our religious centers as holy and um, marriage. I feel like we look at as holy. Um, so that is a really tough question. And I think that's also a really tough question for me being in a very middle ground kind of <laughs> opinion about things. Um, I feel like we still look at the church as a holy place. Do you agree? Well, it can be. Uh, or at least a place that reminds us that holiness used to be an idea that we believed in, but we kind of left it. But it's nice that it's kind of there as a museum of our past, you know. So mm -hmm. we understand that we used to believe in the idea of holy. Uh, but <clears throat> and it's good to have these museum pieces around to remind us of our past. Um, I, to some extent... I think whatever is holy, you've got um, you've got the spirit of the times that tends to assume that whatever is hot now is what's holy. But the problem is mm -hmm. that these things don't last long. You know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's like the latest uh, cell phone that comes out and it gets promoted <laughs> as the latest hot thing, but you know that in in another three months, something else hot's going to come along. So mm -hmm. our idea of what holy seems to be like surfing on a wave. <laughs> you just never know when your idea of the holy is going to crash in the wave, you know. But so we yeah, don't seem true. to have a permanent idea of the holy in our culture now. That's, at least that's my impression. Yeah, and also maybe because, you know, the United States is such a new country, too, like and Europe and... Um, there's so many very, very old, 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 old places that, like, feel there's more roots to them, whereas here in the United States, they don't have really quite as many roots, um, which is unfortunate. You don't get that, that feeling, you know, walking into the amazingly old cathedrals in Europe and, and things like that. Yes, and like in England, we'll say they have a queen, they have, you know, the whole... Uh, monarchy system that runs parallel to what you would call the democratic system that involves the House of Commons and all that. And so they, they have a dual world, one in which the old idea of holiness and, and uh, monarchy of the past is still clung to. And of course, we never had monarchy here. We got rid of it mm -hmm. but, uh, when we got rid of the British in the, in the Revolutionary War, and so we tend to squ 
squeeze our idea of monarchy into the presidency, and it doesn't squeeze well. A lot of the presidents don't really measure up to our idea of uh, a being that we want to adore, you know. Mm-hmm. You've noticed that. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, the British system where they have a queen or a king that they can adore and then they can get rat- mad at the prime minister or mad at parliament or whatever uh, for messing up their lives while still adoring the queen. It's an interesting <clears throat> dual system they have going. And we don't have anything quite like that now. So, you know, you're forever kind of creating your God force or your holy group that you can believe in. Uh, and a lot of that's going on, I think, in sports. You know, we we want sports figures that we can adore. And so we have LeBron James, who, uh, if you follow any of the sports pages or TV like ESPN, they're forever debating whether he's the GOAT, the greatest of all times. And, and so I think these sports figures become a god substitute in a way. And then we want something we can adore, somebody we can believe in, some, mm-hmm. some uh, force in society that seems to be worthy of believing in uh, and that it won't disappear in a couple of weeks when the technology comes up with something better, you know? So it's the idea of the holy is kind of evaporated, I think, from American culture. Uh, And, yes, it was there at one time in our churches, and maybe to some extent it still is in the idea of marriage, uh, in the marriage service that I use, yes. We are now here to unite this man and this woman in holy marriage, which is conceived of God, uh, <clears throat> written and supported in his scriptures and so on. And so that's <clears throat> that's certainly been the foundation of of marriage and the I think both the Jewish and Christian traditions. But mm-hmm. um, for a long time of course divorce was was forbidden in in many churches and still is forbidden mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church because Precisely because marriage is holy, and if it's holy, it mm-hmm. can't be broken, and that kind of a thing. It has to last forever till the death us do part. And of course, we threw that out probably with store closings on Sundays and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So as we've become a more secular culture, the idea of the holiness of marriage is likewise kind of evaporated in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. All right, I want well, to. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I think I want to go on. Uh, just well, I want to mention that what happens in the rest of the Jewish story once Moses gets going out into the wilderness and receiving the commandments is that they set up the priesthood, and we'll deal with the priesthood being set up in another session. But mm-hmm. the priests were really set apart. Um, they. They uh, had special clothing they wore. There were specific orders about how they could, what they had to wear to go into the tabernacle, which is the worship house. The tabernacle eventually was the model of the temple that was built by Solomon. But in any case, if the priests wore the wrong clothes, they could be killed. If uh, people who weren't priests went into the tabernacle, they should be killed. So the 
there was a se- separation, a setting apart of the priesthood that was key to the whole idea of holiness. So that God is other than us, uh, other than humans. And so within Christian theology, there's two things said about God, that he is totally transcendent, meaning he's totally different from creation and separate from creation. And yet he is imminent, meaning he's involved in creation. How do you work that out? Well, the main way in which God is allowed to be separate from creation but involved in creation is through his angels or in intermediators of beings who are not invisible but rather visible, beings who can contact humans in a direct way that God would not do. And so in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, he's basically affirming the otherness of God uh, in heaven, wherever that is, and we are not there. Uh, and yet Jesus himself represented for Christians God in human form. So that's God imminent, God with us. Uh, and so the angels in the Bible represent the with us part of God as opposed to the not with us part of God, which is separate from us. Mm-hmm. So that's part of, part of what's being going on here in this Exodus passage. All right, I want to uh, read a section from Richard Dawkins. He's the one that wrote right. God Delusion. And this is on page 31. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, meaning Dawkins doesn't believe this God existed, okay? Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogenetic, homophobic, racist, infantile, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Those of us schooled from infancy in his ways can become desensitized to their horror. A naive blessed with the perceptive perspective of innocence has a clearer perception. Winston Churchill's son Randolph somehow contrived to remain ignorant of Scripture until Evelyn Waugh and a brother officer in a vain attempt to keep Churchill quiet when they were posted together during the war bet him he couldn't read the entire Bible in a fortnight. Unhappily, it is not had the result he had hoped. He has never read any of it before and is hideously excited. Keeps reading quotations aloud. I say, I bet you didn't know this came in the Bible or merely slapping aside and shouting, wow, isn't God pretty wild? Thomas Jefferson, better read, was of a similar opinion. The Christian God is a being of terrific character, cruel, vindictive, capricious, and unjust. It is unfair to attack such an easy target. The God hypothesis should not stand or fall with its most unlovely intentation, Yahweh, nor his 
insipidly opposite Christian faith, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This book will advocate an alternative view, any creative intelligence of sufficient complexity to design anything comes into existence only as the end product of an extended process of gradual evolution. So <clears throat> what he's substituting for the idea of God is the idea of evolution. Uh, in terms of what God does, uh, like killing off the firstborn in Egypt um, mm-hmm. uh, for Passover, or killing the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, uh, I think I agree. This looks brutal. Mm-hmm. Then the question is, what can be saved here uh, of the God of the Old Testament? What I think can be saved is this. If we have ETs involved in developing the biblical religion, which is what I think has happened, what the ETs were is smart enough to create a religion for the Jewish people which has lasted 3,000 years. And they did this. That is true. They did this at a time when all the other pagan religions worshipped idols. And the second commandment of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not create any graven images. What a huge step forward uh, this was for the time in which these commandments were given. And so, first of all, I have to say that when we look at what the Jewish religion did during the Exodus and what happened during the Exodus, the Jews were led into a wilderness area where there was no other civilization. From a scientific point of view, we need to look at the wilderness as a laboratory, a laboratory where there would be no interference uh, with the subject that's under um, an educational process here, a training process, a conditioning process, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, like a control? Yes. Yes. Well, in a sense, the control are all the other um, religions that are not there. Okay. Mm. The Jews yeah. are the experiment. The Jews are the ones that are beginning the inoculation for the disease. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're getting the shots against uh against idolatry and so the idea of worshipping stones or wood or whatever or even the idea of uh, throwing a guy into a volcano to make it rain okay these things were forbidden uh, Jews were forbidden to sacrifice their children this is part of part of what we get in the commandments that come later and so the Jewish religion is a huge step forward from what was going on three 3,000 years ago, and mm-hmm. it survived this long. Um, yeah. Uh, we, in 2020, can look at it and say, oh my gosh, what kind of a God is that? Well, the answer is this God killed, um, it even killed Jews who got on the line. This was Mm-hmm. And I sort of think of the Jewish religion as similar to parents of a two-year-old. A two-year-old in terrible twos. I got spanked when I was two. We tend to frown <laughs> on spanking now. As I got older, my parents relied on other forms of discipline. But spanking 
at age two was uh, the one thing that seemed to make sense to me, and I understood. In fact, my mother used a hairbrush at the back side of it uh, oh, to get my attention because her hand didn't do the job. Now, I think by today's by today's standards, we're We've become much softer on the discipline side of little kids mm-hmm. and don't want to use any physical discipline, sure. Well, it worked with me, and I don't know how much I've been ruined by that, but here I am. Mm-hmm. I think you need to look at the Jewish religion as an intervention, what I, would, what I call a targeted intervention by the ETs, and that, it, that what happened then has played a huge role in the development of Western civilization. It hasn't had so much impact in India and China and places like that. And it laid mm-hmm. the groundwork for Christianity, which was to come. Of course, uh, Richard Dawkins mentions Jesus, whom he doesn't really appreciate either. But Jesus is just a weak figure to him. And of course, Jesus preached loving your enemies, which is quite a different term from kill your enemies, which was... Uh, basic practice of Judaism throughout uh, the Old Testament, as we see, and it's how we operate still, by and large. You know, we send soldiers to do killing, so we haven't gotten away from the Old Testament way yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, I think that we need to understand that the biblical religion in its Old Testament form was kind of understood to be a starting point rather than a finishing point in our understanding of God. And that when we move on to Christianity, it's a move beyond a rather brutal approach to religion, as is true of the Old Testament, although much of what Christ taught was also already in the Old Testament, so it's not a radical rejection, but in in the New Testament, in Matthew 5-7, through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, we often find Jesus saying, You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. So Jesus was willing to kind of depart from the tradition of the past and go in a somewhat different direction, but not totally different. So that's kind of what I think we can call it enough for today. Yeah. Okay. I found that incredibly fascinating just listening to that, and I hope that everyone else listening did too. I, yeah, it really just makes my my brain start thinking, and you know, you're looking at um, what our you know the United States built on, you know, it's, it's like at that level. And then I think really interesting is the experiment um, with with the Jewish faith, and I think that that's fascinating as well. So thank right. you. All right, what, uh, you know, the question I think we can keep in mind, too, all right, American religion is slipping now, Christianity is slipping, has been slipping for many years. Mm-hmm. And then the question would be, are we ready to move to another level, just like Jesus represented another level from Judaism? Are we now ready to move to another level of understanding, and especially understanding of our place in the universe, and what our purpose is. So we'll try to get to that as we go go along, okay? Absolutely. All right, Barry, thank you so much. Okay, Michaela. Bye-bye. <laughs>